You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. Having said all that, uh, I, I, I hope I don't get in trouble for what I'm about to do, but I want to read you Ephesians 3.20, and then I'm going to do a little illustration up here. Uh, Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Uh, I will tell you what happens to people who don't know the God that we know is they come up with a version of God who is nothing like God. Um, A.W. Tozer put it this way, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. If we reduce God to what we want him to be for us or do for us, then, well, we have a real problem. So here's what I'm about to do, and and we didn't set this up. Bill, will you come help me? I saw you over, Bill. Bill, yeah, Bill's going to come help me. And because I know Bill loves me, he'll come back next Sunday. (laughs) How many of you know Bill Fickner and know him very well? Raise your hand. How many? One, two, two, yeah, three. Your wife finally raised her hand. (laughs) That was was good. Now, by looking at Bill, let me tell you some stuff you don't know about him. Bill is an avid surfer, and back in college, he actually got a scholarship for surfing. Uh, Bill, Bill has surfed the North Shore of Hawaii in competitions. Uh, he, he didn't know this about him. And wait a minute, hang on, just play the game. Yeah, yeah. And, no, this is serious. That's what Bill did. Now, Bill is, is an engineer, and... Um, he, he works at Raytheon, and part of his engineering is he has designed night vision goggles. He was the engineer behind the night vision goggles that currently our Marines and Army are using. And he came up with the design. Are you, are you excited about that? Now, now, is any of this true? You are an avid surfer. You like surfing, okay? Um, you do work at Raytheon. I do. But you're not an engineer. Oh, gee. And you didn't surf in college with a scholarship. Okay. Well, this isn't working, is it? No, it's working exactly the way I intended. So you would only know Bill Fickner by the revelation that he shares with you about himself. Uh, did you go to college? I did. Where'd you go? Cal Poly. You went to Cal Poly. See? Did you know he went to Cal Poly? Home of the Mustangs, not the Braves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you graduate from Cal Poly? I did. What was your degree in? Business degree. Did you know that Bill Figner had a business degree from Cal Poly? Home of the Mustangs. And he likes to surf, but he did not surf in competitions. Okay? Uh, how many of you know how many kids Bill has? Raise your hand. Hey, 
this. His wife just raised her hand. <laughs> now, there's, a, there's very few of you that know. How many kids do you have? Two. Two. What are their names? Kristen and Chase. And they're in high school. Okay, Cabrillo. And what do they do? They, they're in sports. I know that. But they, you guys, what sports do they play? Water polo. Cross country. Okay. What is, I, and don't, none of his friends, none of his friends, what's his favorite food? Pizza. Is it, is it pizza? Yeah. No. Second guess. Lobster. No. Huh? Lasagna. Does he look like lasagna? <laughs> no, wait. Turn to the, you don't know lasagna. I look like lasagna. Extra ricotta cheese, yeah. What is your favorite food? Hey, ribeye. A ribeye steak. Cooked on red oak wood? Yeah. What, do you, what does he like on the side? Mac and cheese. With your ribeye, if you're going. But you, you like potatoes? Like home fries style, kind of? Mashed potatoes. Okay. And besides the Lord, I'm going to help you out here. Besides the Lord, who is the love of your life? My wife, and her name is, everybody know what's her name? Angela. Angela, I call her Ange, okay? By the way, Bill Fickner, everybody, thanks. All right. Now, what does that have to do with the sermon? Everything. Because to the degree you have revelation about Bill is the degree you can answer those questions about his life. And the same is true of God. He, he, here's what I find people doing all the time. They come up with a version of God that is nothing like God. So something bad happens in life, therefore God is mean. God doesn't answer your prayer the way you want to, therefore God can't provide for us. Or God is angry at us. Or something tragic in life happens and pretty soon we start to define God by the tragedies of humanity and the human condition. But if we begin to peel back the revelation of God, the first thing you will see, and I know some of you have your pens and you're feverishly waiting to write things down, God is holy. He is unique and different, righteous and good. And you should have seen how many words I had in that before I edited it down to that short sentence. But God is holy. And because of his holiness, he is different. Now, we use the word holy a lot, like holy schmoly, or holy mackerel, or holy guacamole, or holy smokes, or holy cow, and we kind of desanctify the word. When it actually means to be sanctified or consecrated, or holy means different, unique, special, and set apart. Now, I want to read to you some of the disclosure about God, just like we learned some things about Bill today and ribeye steaks. <clears throat> okay. And just as we learned about, he has two sons, and next to God, the love of his life is his wife. Good answer. 1 Samuel 2.2 says, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. 2 Samuel 7 says, how great you are, O sovereign 
Lord. His, his sovereignty allows him to do things beyond our understanding or our capacity to know. Because there's no one like you and there is no God but you. And as we've heard with our own ears. And Isaiah 40, which is a beautiful chapter, I encourage you all to read it. To whom will you compare me? Or who's my equal, says the Holy One. And Jeremiah said, there's no one like you, O Lord. You are great. Your name is mighty in power. Who should not revere you, O King of the nations? This is your due. Among all the wise men of the nations and in the, all the kingdoms, there's no one like you. So here's what I want to say this morning. There is no one like God. He's utterly unique and different from all else. And he is holy. I want to show you a picture of somebody and see if you know who this is. Do you know who this is? Okay. No, not Bill Fickner. That's the wrong, that's the wrong answer. That is Mick Big Lips, Move Like Jagger, Jagger. That's him. Okay. But that's not really him. That is a caricature of him. That's not a photograph of him. That is what an artist depicted that Mick Jagger looks like to them in kind of an abstract or over-the-top way. Okay? How about this next one? Anybody know this person? Okay, Jennifer Lawrence. Now, most of the older people did not respond. In the first service where we have lots of retired people, um, it took a while. Okay, Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. Okay, anybody know what she's been in lately? Okay, not trouble. No, but what? Okay. Uh, how about this last one? This is a cardboard cutout. Who is that? Beyonce. Who said Beyonce? Yeah, good, good. Thank you, Beyonce. Good. Now, here's what I find. Lots of people in Santa Barbara County have caricatures of God. What they want him to be. Or how they characterize him to be. See, people attempt to reduce God to someone or something that we can manage. If you ever take one of the characteristics of God and set it out by itself, you can set out the word holy. And that's a standalone. But once you take out any other of the characteristics of God, for example, um, he's our refuge and strength as we talked about last week. Or he's the God of mercy. Or he's the God, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, right? Do you know back in the 70s, I started pastoring uh, in 1978. And uh, in the 70s and early 80s, there was a lot of people who took one characteristic of the heart of God and put it out on a shelf and almost idolized it. It was called the provision of God. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. They had a proof text. But they had a problem. Because once you take one of the characteristics of God and make that the caricature of him, you can create a whole theology and a doctrine about God or a church. A church called God Will Provide Ministries. And there were people that we actually saw in my early years as pastor here come here as refugees from churches where the pastor said, God will do anything you say. 
And I thought, really? Where's that written? Well, it says, if you, if you ask according to his will, they left the according to his will part off, it shall be given to you. And I remember one time in our community, in 1986, praying for someone who had cancer and had no chance humanly to live. And I prayed around the bed with other clergy, and I said these words, God, we pray that your kingdom come, your will would be done, and I'll just insert a name here, that your name would be done in Fred, just as it is in heaven. And I got my hand slapped by three other pastors over the guy's body as he was almost done with his life. And one pastor, I'm going to tell you this, I never shared this story. One pastor with his bony figure says, we don't like that kind of prayer around here. We speak healing. And if we speak it, he will be healed. And your lack of faith could cause his death. Well, I got my Bible and my anointing oil <clears throat> and got in the car. And I said, Lord, I don't want to be that guy. Because I really don't want anything else to happen in my life or in the church I pastor except for your will to be done. Because I don't understand all about you. Oh, I do know, folks, that God is a provider. And He miraculously provides for us. And He heals for us. But according to uh, Andy Stanley, he says we have a generation of young people abandoning the church. Because the church has signed God's name to promises God never made. There are young people who wonder why we in some ways think so limited and in other ways we think so grandiose as if God's going to come through without any work on our part. And there was actually a theology, and I'm not poking fun at anybody because it's sad. There was a theology that had a flippant name to it. It was something like this. You, you blab it and grab it. You name it, you claim it. Whatever you say, God will do. And then the problem was, when, when, when people didn't get their prayers answered, they went back to those pastors and leaders and said, He didn't answer our prayer. And they said something like this. You don't have enough faith. Or there must be sin in your life. Or there's a curse in your family line. Or you probably listen to that Pastor Bernie guy who says, according to your will, may it be done. And people came to LFC in those days. I'll never forget them. And they said, does God even love me? Because I was told that if you prayed and if you believed, God would provide Jehovah Jireh. And I said silly things to people in those days. I thought they were silly, but now I see them as wise. God does things we don't know. And He does things we don't understand this side of heaven. And if God needs your prayer to run the universe, and if God has given you the ability to, to, to speak Mercedes-Benz, and it shows up in your driveway, that's not provider. And I told people, what if you ask God, Lord, I need transportation. Would you help me? And then they have a vision of the Colt bus. That's transportation. Or someone gives them a car. 
out of the blue. Or God provides them with an increase in their salary so they can actually get a car. I mean, God will provide. But not always according to our parameters or our desires. He meets our needs, not all our desires. But there was a whole theology created out of one aspect of God. And I'm just going to challenge you. If you create a caricature of God like Mick Jagger, Jennifer Lawrence, or Beyonce, you will be ruined. God is holy. And that is one aspect of God that we cannot minimize and we cannot attempt to make God or reduce God to something or someone that, that, that we can manage. There is no one like him. And God was very clear. Don't you dare make an image of me, a graven image, a, a drawing of me, because you can't. Because the minute you do, I become an eight and a half sheet of paper. Or I become your screen or your video. And I'm bigger than that. I, I transcend time and space. I am more than you will ever understand. Don't you dare reduce me to a pocket-sized, handy-dandy deity because you will utterly be ruined. He's holy, which means righteous and good. His character, number two, is a standard for righteousness and goodness. You want to know what holiness is like? Look at God. He's the standard for righteousness and, and goodness. And Isaiah 5, 16, But the Lord Almighty will be exalted by His justice, and the Holy God will show Himself holy by His righteousness. And later, when Jesus comes and walks this planet, He is the holiness of God in human form. That's really amazing. Now, the virgin birth is really amazing. Is it not? I mean, it's, it's just amazing. God overshadows Mary, and the baby is born, and I just don't know how God did this. The holiness of God inside human flesh. So strong and so powerful that the human flesh of Jesus never sinned. I mean, that's holiness. And what we see is that when Peter is talking about Jesus, he even says in Acts 3, you disown the holy and righteous one. Not only did you crucify him, you disowned the holy and righteous one. Peter even labels Jesus as the holy and righteous. When Isaiah had this vision of heaven, and many of you know this in chapter 6, he says, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now the temple was huge. It was the largest a structure that Isaiah had ever seen. And he says even the, the, the hem of his garment or the train of his robe filled this. So in other words, this vision that he has of God is so huge, it'd be like the, the bottom of this shirt filling this whole room. That's a huge dude right there. And that's what he saw. But above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces not to see the holiness of God. With two, they covered their feet, symbolic of humanity that needs to be covered before the holiness of God. And with two, they were flying, and they cried to each other, holy, holy, holy. Now, whenever in Hebrew you see a word repeated three times, that is perfection. 
It's like um, perfect peace would be shalom, shalom, shalom. Three, three, three times. Holy, holy, holy. The Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And oh, how we wish that people would see the glory of God everywhere. Because he is everywhere. But the first thing Isaiah does is he says, um, I've got a problem. Uh, let me paraphrase. Uh, he says, uh-oh. Woe to me, I, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. Now, some might have said or thought, maybe if you were in the presence of God, I'm, I'm a person of unclean mind or unclean hands. But he says, there's something about my lips. I'm hearing the angels say, holy, 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 but I've spoken stuff that I shouldn't even be in your presence. But right away... Something beautiful happens, and I really want you to catch this. Right away, the seraph flew to me with a coal in his hand, which was taken with tongs from the altar. You probably read this, and maybe you haven't stopped long enough to unpack that statement. See, the first thing that Isaiah says is, I don't belong in your presence, because I've spoken things that are unholy. But the angel comes with tongs, and inside the tongs are coals off the altar. The altar was the altar of sacrifice. And right away, the holy God meets us in our unholiness with atonement. He meets us in our unholiness with a Savior. He meets us in our unholiness with, with cleansing. That's the heart of our God. He knows that we're not holy, but He is holy and desires that we are cleansed from all of our unrighteousness, like 1 John 1 says, says uh, 1 John 1 9 says, and whom will I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord. You, you can send me. He was so moved by the holiness of God, by the atonement of God with the coal from off the altars, that he says, I will go for you, Lord. And we could fast forward and say it's the words of Jesus telling all of us to go in the world and, and declare the gospel of Jesus, let people know about the saving power of the Lord, that when we're in the holiness of God, in the presence of God, something transforms on the inside, and it's too good of a message to keep to ourselves. He knew that he was in trouble. He knew he was a sinner in the presence of God. God came to touch him and to cleanse him. Most people, says Francis Chan, are casual about God because they don't have an accurate picture most people have a casual approach to God. It's like, um, well, God, bless my tuna fish sandwich. Amen. Or God, bless my sports team. Amen. Can you imagine how many prayers go up on any Sunday during the NFL season to God? And the angels sit around, holy, 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 and they hear things like Raiders, Packers, Jets, Bears, Rams. And I, I, sorry, I like football, but I, I think the angels just chuckle. Really, guys? That's what you're in a lob towards heaven? Lord, would you bless, would you bless my team? I mean, really? You know? Yes, you can pray to anything about, you know, to God about anything. Got it. 
But too many Christians take the power of prayer and use it like fairy pixie dust whenever they need it. What Isaiah tells us, and even what Chan says here, that we can be casual about God. But this God, number three, is a holy God to be feared and worshipped. In the Bible, the universal response to the presence of God, to the angels of God, is fear. And God always has to have the angels say, fear not. <laughs> but we have these uh-oh moments. And people fall on their faces in fear and reverence of God when the angels came. And it's kind of hard for us to understand that we would worship God, but also fear Him. If He's a Father, why would you fear the Father? It's, it, it's a paradox of sorts. And it's all through the Bible, that God is love and God is a judge, that we are saints and we are sinners. That we get in, in trouble when we hold to one and reject the other. The Bible teaches both, that God it's a God of paradox. It's the only word I can use. It's a God that, that's held in tension points. He's a loving God, and he desires that no one would perish, and yet he's the God that's able to judge people and send them into eternal damnation. It, it's hard to fathom both sides. But Isaiah went on to say in chapter 8, verse 13, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy, he is the one that you are to fear. And in today's culture, we do not revere the name of God enough. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, they wouldn't even say, uh, praise God. They would say, Baruch Hashem. Hashem means the name. Praise the name. They wouldn't even say the name. Now, in some circles, uh, you could use the name Yuhei uh, Vahe, uh, which was Jehovah, but what they would say is Adonai, because it was the way that they would mention God's name without saying his name. They were so concerned about it. I, I was, was, was raised, of course, in Jewish faith. My, my family was Orthodox. Um, my uncle was a rabbi, and they would never say the name of God. And I would pray. I remember one day praying, dear God, and my uncle slapped my hand. And they all backed away from the table like, I had done the unpardonable sin. I called him God. They said, you can only say God's name on the Sabbath, and you can only say his name in the synagogue. I thought, this, this, is, not, this is confusing to me. I just want to call him God. But you can't call him God today. i got to wait till Friday night after the sun goes down. It just was too much for me. But I don't want you to think that we just kind of waltz into the presence of God. See, I, I wonder how many of you on your way to church today had a thought. I am going to walk into a building that is dedicated to the presence of God. Oh, I, I know it's, you know, acoustic ceiling and wood and drywall, paint, it's carpet, it's seats. But I remember the day that we stood here on this platform before we knocked that wall out and, and we said, God, we dedicate this space to your use. And every time we gather here, we want your presence. And I wonder how many people thought today, I'm going to gather with two or more people in his name and he's going to come. The holy, the holy God's going to show up on C Street. Come on. 
know what I know about God? He really loves Lompoc. Well, Pastor, I had a button that said, I love Lompoc. No, no. God, God really loves Lompoc. God really loves Vandenberg. God really loves Santa Barbara County. Do you know that? The holy God of the universe. This is the God who is to be feared. He's utterly unlike us, and he's perfectly good. And he welcomes us into his presence. You know what I find? People that don't have any use for God are people that have not yet come to grips with the reality of themselves. By the way, this is a powerful statement. You can use this this week. If you never come to the grips of the reality of yourself, you will never need God. Talking with somebody recently, they have no need for God because they are smart, they are all together, and they are filled with pride that doesn't allow them to say, I need somebody other than myself. Life is about them. And when they see a vision, they see themselves seated on the throne, high and lifted up eating their Doritos in a chair. I just made that up. See, when someone thinks they're all that, they don't need any help. And so some of the resistance you face when you try to share your faith with somebody or your 90-second story with somebody, you wonder if they're resisting you. No, no, what they're doing is they're resisting reality. They're resisting humility because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble and the reason they don't see their need for God is they ignore their sin, they ignore their smallness, they ignore the fact that in the darkest moments of their night they are broken inside but they won't admit that they're broken therefore they can't get healed. And if they're trying to create a facade of someone that they're really not, I've said this before, God cannot heal the fake you. He can't. He can't save the fake you. He can only save the real you when you say, oh, oh, Lord, I am undone. I'm a sinner in your presence. I'm a person of unclean lips, unclean mind, unclean past. My life is unclean. And then you come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, and symbolically, Jesus comes and takes his blood off the cross like the angel did, the coal off the altar, and puts it on your life and deems you holy, which is just a bizarre thing. I think it's more a miracle that God makes us holy than it was for the virgin birth. And some of you are going, oh, no, no way, man. That was like, you know, I went to sex ed. That's really something. But for God and the power of the cross, I still am overwhelmed by this. To take a sinner like me and sinners like you, because you are one too, hallelujah, and make us righteous, are you kidding me? That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 96, 9, we worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness and we tremble before him. See, people that aren't willing to deal with the reality of themselves will never tremble before him. They tremble before themselves. Look at me, I'm really something, aren't I? See my Facebook profile? Look at my face. Oh, I don't like it. I'll change it and make another one. Look at me. I've got 12,000 Twitter followers. Wow. People
people like my Instagram, so little hearts fly on my screen. Wow. I tremble at myself. No, what we need to do is we need to tremble at the presence of God in worship because of His, there's the word, holiness. And Psalm 99.5 says, exalt the Lord our God and worship where? At His footstool. See, the king had a throne and there was this little, little footstool. Maybe some of you have seen them. You put your feet on it. We had one growing up, little embroidered stitching on it, you know. My mom did it with a needle and thread. It was so perfect and beautiful. It was black with little wooden feet. And it was a footstool. It just sat there. I don't know. We never used it. It just sat there. But the only way you could worship at the footstool is you had to get down. You had to really get low. You had to become humble. John in Revelation 4, we don't have time for this, but in Revelation 4, John sees the vision of heaven and he also hears, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the angels cried out, the elders laid down their, their crowns. They put them on the, on the ground. And the reason is because they recognize that all their accolades and then all of the decoration of God, well done, good and faithful servant, paled in comparison to the holiness of God. Even the saints around the throne of God aren't making little jokes to each other. Hey, we got here, Joe. Yeah, I got in too. You know, I saw Peter at the gate and slipped him a 20. He gave me a good seat. You know, whatever it is, that's just silliness. What I do know is the angels are crying, holy, holy, holy. The saints that are there are crying, holy, holy, holy. We should cry the same. Oh God, I sense your presence. Holy you are. I don't deserve to feel your comfort, Lord. I don't deserve to have access in your presence to worship you, Lord, or raise my hands to you. You know what I know about where we live? We live in a place where some of the most beautiful sunsets take place. Have you seen them? Have you seen them? This is from Lombok. Have you seen this one here? This is our city. Now, that picture doesn't do it justice because you've, you've seen the sunsets of Lombok. And every once in a while, especially in my, my, my office upstairs, I will yell and scream at anybody in the building, Look! Look now! And just another sunset. Oh man, I've, I've, I've run out of my office if I'm still here at night and run out to Ocean Street because I don't want anything to block my view. And I look down and I go, Lord, look what you did. Whoa. People are putting it on Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest, the sunsets. Look it up on Pinterest. The sunsets of Lombok. You'll see them. We can take these for granted, can't we? The holiness of God, we can take that for granted. The Pacific Ocean. Some of you commute. You don't even know it's there anymore. Pastor, I drive the, the bus, man. I don't see nothing but my eyelids. The other morning, I, I went to L.A. for a meeting. And I was driving. I, I was thinking about where I was going, how I had to get there. I was listening to a leadership podcast. 
all of a sudden it dawned on me near the Channel Islands. It was so crystal clear. It was like if I stopped, I could get a, get a rock and hit the island. Wow. The water was like glass. And it hit me. I've driven by that ocean. I felt the presence of God and taken it for granted. I forgot, and I know some of you are freaking out here, number four, that God has made us holy in Christ. He said, be holy for I'm holy. That's a tall order. And the only way He does it is through our admission of reality and our ability to say, God, make me holy by the blood of Jesus. Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.